Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be together with other believers today. Um, that phrase or something like that is said in churches all over, but truly, Lord, there are Christians who are alone right now, who are in a jungle or in a high rise or other places, and some of them by choice are alone, and some of them not by choice are alone. Lord, it is a distinct privilege to spend time with other believers, to know people more, to be pushed, to look to you, to um, get to know them in such a way that we can say, hey, let's look to Christ more clearly. And Lord, may none of us in here ever take that for granted. Um, Lord, at the same time, I know there's challenges in every life in here right now. Um, but will you help us to think through your plan of redemption and the glory and wonder of knowing you as Savior and of your plan, that you're not a God who is going along saying, oh man, what should I do now? Here's a good fix. But you're God, the God, the only God with a perfect plan, and we rejoice in it. In your Son's name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so just by way of review... Um, it looks like we had fall and redemption the last two weeks in this class. Uh, certainly Genesis 3.15, if you want to turn there. We're going to be mostly in Genesis today, those first chapters 3 and then, you know, kind of 6 through 9. So if you're, for us, we can get your Bibles out and uh, we can all be in Genesis together. I won't have slides. Those I have a few other slides, but uh, Genesis chapters we can and verses we can just look at together. Um, but if we've been... Thinking fall and redemption, certainly the verse from Genesis 3.15 would be central on our minds. And I'm going to have different people read at different times. I've got all the teens in here today, so I've got all kinds of good readers for me. But um, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And certainly the bruising of the heel is not nearly as serious as the bruising of the head. Victory going to the sun. Um, and we can read that and say, yes, things are going to be turned around. Things are going to be different. But then what happens? Instead of this descendant, this son killing the serpent, what happens in reality? What does this son or descendant do? He kills the other son. So we're supposed to have this descendant of yours, Adam and Eve, is going to make things right. And he's going to kill this serpent and make, th and instead your son kills your other son. We should have this really distinct sense of this is how broken things are at this time. This is, this is not the, th the way things ought to be. And then Cain says, when God questions him, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Which sounds a whole lot like Adam saying, ah, what? This woman that you gave me gave, made this problem? People evading. So you see this pain and this pain and this pain. But even in the midst of that, so just as we're kind of solidifying our thinking here, even in the middle of that pain, if you go after the yuckiness of Lamech in chapter 4, Look at the very last verse of chapter 4. We have, To Seth a son was born, 
And then it says, and at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's some, in the midst of all this yuckiness, there's some hope being given here. People are starting to call upon the name of the Lord. And then in, um, you know, Lamech, this rotten guy, I killed a young man. He's bragging about it. I can do whatever I want. I want to have this protection from God. Uh, You know, Lamech, but it says in verse 28 of chapter 5, so people began to call upon the name of the Lord at the end of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, verse 28, after Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has, has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now, what did Lamech know at that time? I, we, we really don't know. The name Noah fits in the, the family of words that talk about rest. So, so why does he name him this? What is going on there? We don't quite know. But at some level, Lamech recognized things aren't how they should be, but here's one who's going to make things better, bring rest. So there's some positiveness that's coming out of that. And then it takes us into chapter 6. And this is where we're going to be spending quite a bit of our time today in chapter 6. And so we'll just read through chapter 6 and be thinking through um, what God is doing here and be thinking that plan of redemption. We've got the horror of death. We've got the promise that your descendant is going to kill the serpent. And then we have instead your descendant killed his brother and things broken, broken, broken. Okay. So, um, boy, someone need to call upon. Jonathan, why don't you, I think Jonathan has as good a reading voice as anybody in the youth group. He could be on the radio. Jonathan, so why don't you start reading in six and just read for a while and I'll interrupt you. Read a little bit louder than you normally do just because there's a lot of people in here. A little bit louder. And I'll just stop you there. We're not going to get into whether the Nephilim or this or that or the other thing. That's kind of a seminary <laughs> seminary paper thing. Uh, I personally think they were regular people. Other people in here, I'm sure, are convinced that they're angelic beings that made children. But the big point is not who they were or what they looked like. Uh, the big point is this is how broken things are. This is a wreck. This is not how things ought to be. So then in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now, those are pretty, pretty sobering words right there. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man that I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. I am sorry that I have made them. We have this really big word that is next. So the Lord is sorry that he has made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then it says in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. And then it talks about Noah a little bit. It says, this is how great Noah was. 
Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And he had these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in the, the, in the middle of this ugliness, it has this, this huge promise here. And then this reminder that everything is a wreck. But we've got this Noah guy. And he is righteous and blameless. And he walked with God. And so if you are talking with someone who believes in some type of work salvation, you can do enough good things and then God will be happy with you. And they say, here's a pretty good example of Noah doing the good things and God then was good with him. Would you have any response to that? I've talked with a Roman Catholic that said, hey, here is an example of their works made them good with God. Any, any thoughts on that that you might have as we're going through chapter 6? I would say that it's the opposite. That God gave Noah the grace to walk righteously and blamelessly. And yeah. Many, many Old Testament saints. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Noah that earned it. It was God who gave it to him the grace. Yeah, yeah. If, um, Anna, do you want to boom that one out for me? Thank you. Thank you. Righteousness that comes by faith. Exactly what Tom said. So just keep that in mind when you read this, because I love reading this and hearing about Noah. And I hope that we're challenged and we say, wow, I, I want to follow God in this way. Boy, the things that I see broken in our world don't come, don't come to the level of the yuckiness that's happening if you read the first 20 chapters of Genesis. I mean, over and over and over we're reminded. But God has this this unbelievable grace towards this man who was then righteous and blameless, and he walked with God. So we go in a little bit more yuckiness here. Um, Jonathan, if you could keep reading. Okay. Yes. Well, something that I came across recently is that he, he not only didn't believe his righteousness wasn't just because he believed, but he also obeyed. Yeah. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark. Yeah. So faith doesn't just believe, it obeys. Absolutely, absolutely. Joe, you had a thought? Yeah, you know, it's actually the opposite, too, of what you were saying, because of what some a Catholic or somebody might say in regards to that, his, his work. It's actually the opposite. It's not the pretty story of the animals on the ark. It's, it's God's wrath. Yeah. Disobedience. Yeah. And only that few had faith. Yeah. It's the faith that led to God putting righteousness on him and, and saving a, a remnant out of that, out of the wrath of God. Right. Yeah. Just that not following what God has said led to the wrath of God. And so there's always a result in a covenant. Sure. Agreement. Sure. The end result is if you don't obey, is dead. Right. Right. And even as, as you're saying here, uh, the Noah's Ark story, we can, we can all think of the first time we maybe heard the story of, of Noah's Ark. And it might be, you know, at the vet clinic that you know of or at a, you know, church nursery or whatever. But... Truly, uh, the Noah's Ark story is really a horror story of virtually everybody being annihilated and everything being annihilated from the earth. Pretty, pretty sobering text. Hey, yes.
Yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. Okay, Jonathan, keep reading. Read maybe just 11 through 13, and we'll have you stop there. So he's going to destroy them from the earth. He goes on and gives the the size of the ark, what it's supposed to look like, the different stories of the ark. I'm assuming in here many of us have been to the the ark encounter in northern Kentucky. Um, It says um, in verse 18, um, which says at the end of verse 17, everything that is on the earth shall die. And so those that you interact with that say, well, I, I don't believe that everybody died on that. I think there were except for the ark, uh, there's those who believe, well, it's just a localized flood, those kind of things. They're contradicting scripture um, because it says everything that is on the earth shall die, save those that are in the ark. But God says, I will establish my covenant with you. We're going to see more on the covenant in uh, chapter nine. I'll establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you and every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark. Um, And then verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that's really uh, alluding well to what Dave O had shared about his obedience. Very, very important. Okay, so then um, let's fast forward a little bit. We've got the time in the ark. Most of us know the Noahic story, so we won't go into all the detail, but we know that the waters came from the deep and from above and flooded the earth completely. And they've got all that time on the ark. God remembered Noah God gets out at the end of chapter 8. Virtually the first thing that's recorded, he builds an altar and sacrifices to the Lord. The Lord makes a promise about never again cursing the ground because of man. Um, and then we get into chapter 9. And in chapter 9, he's going to go through and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then starting in, I think I marked down verse 16. And if... Um, Let's see, Aaron, you want to do some reading for me? Uh, sure. Okay, so read 9, 16, and 17, and read it loudly. Yeah. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Good, good. Now, if we could go, you probably can't read that unless you're in the front rows here, but um, this is, these are some parallels that we have from the Adamic covenant on your left to the Noahic covenant on your right. And again, you guys probably can't see that super well, but um, Tom Schreiner has a, a book on covenants that I found pretty helpful. Um, it's just a little one, but... Um, just this little covenant and God's purpose for the world. If you'd ever want to borrow that or look at it, I think there's some helpful things in there. And I really like how he thinks, but um, he has a whole list in there of all the parallels he sees between Adam and Noah. Um, we, I grabbed a few out of here, you know, from Genesis one, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 9 says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
good parallel there. And then on the left again, under Adam, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves, to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything with the breath of life. Then under Noah in Genesis 9, the fear and dread of you shall be upon the beasts of the earth and upon every bird, everything that creeps on the ground. In your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Then again, on, on the left there, uh, Genesis 1 again, under Adam, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You have them for food. I have given every green plant for food. On the right, under Noah, I gave you the green plants. I give you everything. So that, those parallels there are really, really good for us to think about. And there, there's quite a few scholars that would argue the Noahic covenant is really just either an extension or an adding to or kind of a jumping in on the, the Adamic covenant. Um, there's also those that argue that Adam didn't really even get a covenant because there isn't redemption the way that we think of redemption. But I, I think they're both legit covenants. But I, I really do think the Noahic covenant is really just an extension or kind of a restatement and a refining of it. Um, we'll get into ch chapter 9 a little bit more, but if, if we looked at the... Um, uh, Noahic covenant. What would be what would be some basics of it that you might uh, that you would think of? I think there's kind of three main things. Um, would would you say it's conditional or unconditional? So a conditional covenant would be um, if you obey, God will say, then I will bless. So that would be a conditional covenant. And then if if you if you don't obey, then God will take away that blessing. And so under the Noahic covenant, is it conditional or unconditional? The, the promises in nine, are they based on Noah obeying or are they just promises? promises. Just promises. Okay, so we're going to go, we're definitely going to go unconditional. Now there's some expectations on them. You need to be fruitful and multiply. Um, you need to have dominion. Um, but he doesn't say, if you don't, I will do this again. Instead, what's the sign of the covenant? Yeah, we've got that, that bow in the clouds. And um, I, you could probably get too far into this, but, you know, that bow is this way. And so instead of God's anger being focused down at the earth, you know, the, the bow is actually pointed up. And I look at rainbows and I think, oh, how pretty. Uh, especially because places I've lived in my life, it doesn't rain very much. So when it does rain, you see a rainbow, you're like, whoa, look how pretty that is. So here it rains a lot more and you see them more. But um, I mean, those are pretty phenomenal colors. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Maybe it's not a big deal if you grow up in a rainy area, but I think it's really, really pretty. But God made this, this promise here, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then, and then who is it to? Who is, who is this covenant to? Yeah, it's all flesh. So there are those that would believe, hey, um, could God come and annihilate the world, not at the second coming, and just use a different means than the flood? So is this, is this a promise that he just won't flood again? Or is he really making a bigger promise that he's not going to annihilate the world until the second coming. Do you, have any, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Because who, who said the, uh, the all flesh? Who answered that? Yeah. That's a, that's a really, that's a, that's pretty strong there. He made a promise to, to Noah and to his descendants, but also to animals and the world. Any, any thoughts on that? It says the seed time and harvest will continue to the end. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's, it's interesting when it's not going to destroy everybody until the final judgment. Yeah, not until the final judgment. Good. Jim? Mm-hmm. And then he started creation and put everything in it. Yes. And in the flood, it just took life out, which was what, the fifth day or sixth day of creation. The rose and the sun, moon, and stars fell out, but they were the same. Sure, sure. Uh, they were unchanged. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it truly is a promise. At the end of, of chapter 8, um, God says in verse... Got it at 21, middle of 21, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And he recognizes man for what we truly are, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and wind, just like you read, Dave. Summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. So it is, it is a promise not to flood the entire earth again, but it's also a promise until the return as we know from the rest of Scripture, until the return, he's not going to bring an earthquake that kills everybody. He's not going to bring any other thing. Now, there's going to be localized manifestations of those things, but we can wait and trust, and that rainbow is really a, a really big promise of God's hand. Yeah, David? I know it, it applies to all of us at different ages, but I think especially of the youth here that are growing up in this generation. Mm. I mean, because all these apocalyptic films and, you know, everything, you know, it's like, you know, and so you think you're growing up, you think, what's the future like? Well, if you're a Christian, the future's pretty good. Yeah. Because uh, you know God's not going to wipe out everybody. Yeah. So you guys have hope, you know, in your lives to live for the Lord, you know? Yeah. And, and when he does return, it's with vengeance on those that don't, that don't follow him, and it's with utter complete joy for those that do follow him we've got a new heaven a new earth coming that's better than anything we can comprehend yeah Martha. i was just thinking too is when you stop and think about noah he found favor in god's eyes and he built the ark but also he stepped into the ark and all that did not step in were destroyed but he stepped in by faith and so did his family but also the same goes for us. You know, we'll be destroyed uh, spiritually unless we step into Christ, who's like the ark, yeah. who saves. And so I thought that is a type of Christ. For sure. Faithful to step in. And that's really just a requirement to know Jesus, to step in by faith. Yeah, yeah. I think another important thing to think about we, when I was a kid, I remember hearing, um, and the teens have probably heard this before, but I, I remember hearing, not from our pastor, but almost, I don't, I don't know if it was quasi-Christian preschools or whatever that I, but almost this idea of God's in heaven 
and people kept messing up and then God would say, oh man, what am I going to do? Oh, here's a guy to fix it. So, oh, this is what is going on down here. Um, oh, I guess I'll use this Noah guy or, or I guess I'll use this Abram guy. Or um, I remember distinctly the one that stuck out was God searched all over heaven when things were so bad and he found Jesus to send down. Well, that, that, is, that is not consistent with scripture at all. The, the plan and goodness and righteousness of God and God understanding. If you read these sections over and over, you're hearing, you know, God knew that man was always evil continually, or this is, this is what man is like. And, and God is also not shocked by our sin. Um, he understands us. He sees us in our sinfulness and he can't stand it. And part of his perfect plan was each of these small redeemers leading us up to the redeemer, Jesus Christ. So just keep that as you guys get older and you'll go off to college and different places, you're going to be hearing people saying things like that. Hey, God didn't know what to do. And so then he thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll give this a whirl. It's just not nothing of that in scripture at all. So he, uh, Noah gets out of the ark. He builds an altar. God makes a covenant. We have these parallels with Adam. Things are great. Things are good. As yucky as it was having all these people annihilated from the world, they no longer are influencing him. And, oh, my family and I, and we're righteous. And then it gets into this little section in 9. Um... In verse 20, so it sets up, hey, here are his kids. Again, it's restated in verse 18. Verse 19 says, and these three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. And then why is this story in there? Why, why did God include this? Noah began to be a man of the soil. So Noah's a farmer. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Why is that in there? Yeah, yeah, Jim? Okay, illustrate we're still sinners. Jim? Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, what all was going on there, I don't know. I know a Westminster professor that I had thought that a lot more went on in this. He thought in the original language it was alluding to things. We have no idea. Additionally, um, there are those who have used this text to say, well, this people group that followed Ham are lesser or evil or we're okay um, enslaving them or treating them badly. There's nothing to do that is, there's no accuracy in that at all. But whatever went on here, Noah is not a perfect man. He was used by God as kind of a little redeemer for humanity. Boy, it points to us, we need the redeemer. We need Jesus who, there's no story of Jesus doing this. There's none of that. So that is, that is a good reminder to us, in the, to us in the text right there. And then uh, looking ahead, um, a foretaste of what is to come. Two 
two real themes in Genesis. I want to look at a, at a couple New Testament passages as well. Um, a theme of judgment. I'm not sure I did a slide of that. I did not. If, if you want to actually turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, because that'll be an easy one to look to. Um, we'll just go to, to Matthew 24. Really, if you want to take the entire story of Noah, you've got two themes. You've got this theme of judgment, and, and you've got this theme of salvation. And uh, the New Testament alludes to both of those pretty clearly. So 24, and we'll start... Um, with verse 36. And I guess, as I'm thinking now, when we were told how we're supposed to teach this class, I think we're not supposed to have other people read and stuff because it's recorded. And I think I'm supposed to restate all of your questions you ever answer. Well, that kind of didn't happen. Sorry. Sorry, recorded people. So I will, I will read this. Sorry. Um, it, says, it says this in, uh, in, in verse... 36. It says, but concerning that day and hour, this is of the return when things are, not even the angels in heaven or the son, but the father only. And then verse 37, as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So I read a phrase in a book, and it said this. It said, I want, I want to know if you agree or disagree, and, and maybe why on that. It says this. It says, no one saw the flood coming, and that was the problem. So a huge point in one of the books that I read was, no one saw the flood coming, and that was the problem. Agree, disagree, what do you, what do you think on that? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and the message is going to be going out to to all the people groups before the return. Yeah, um, each individual might not personally hear, but but the message is going to be going out. That's. There's some good thoughts there. What else might you think on that? So no one saw the flood coming, and that was the problem. Dustin, did you, were you bidding, or were you wanna, do you want to answer? Nope. I, I, I saw you do that. Okay, don't even twitch around me. I go to cattle auctions. Don't even twitch around me. I will call on you. Teens, is this true? Is this true? It is absolutely true. Yeah, now I've scared everybody. I am so sorry. I won't call on anybody. Yeah, Aaron? Even like going back to what we were talking about with faith, it's not just believing, it's obeying. So even people who might hear the gospel and may kind of believe it, if they're not going to obey, then they're also going to be a choice. Yeah. So I think that kind of just kind of connection from the beginning. Yeah, and connecting with what you and Abby have said, it's a pretty horrifying thing if everybody is in rebellion, complete rebellion against Almighty God. It isn't that they were concerned, not concerned about the flood coming. 
They didn't think their sin was that big of a deal. And so in a sense, I could agree with that phrase. And in a sense, I, I think I wouldn't quite agree with it. But the big picture is, if we sin, any one of us in here, if we sin with abandon, and we think, hey, we're good to go, we're doing just what they did, and we're going to be shocked when the Son of Man returns. And so when we share with our neighbors, when we share with our kids, maybe for some of us, when we share with our parents or with other relatives, the person in the cubicle next to us or whatever, there's this judgment warning that's, that's throughout this story of Noah, and that many people, especially in the Bible Belt here, they don't mind talking about Noah with you a little bit. Hey, let's talk Noah a little bit. Even a story of Noah. They might even let you talk with their kids about it. And you can reference to the horror of, is our day even a little bit like or a lot like Genesis chapter 6? There's some, there's some warning of judgment in there for, for our world. Verse, um, hey, Sam, yes. You know, also in 2 Peter, Noah is now we're going to be getting to 2 Peter, Carla. Are you trying to, are you trying to mess up my lesson? <laughs> but we will get there because that's under the salvation side. Absolutely. Jim? How about Hebrews 11, 6? Are you going there? You can. Okay. Go there for us, Jim. All right. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever, and him meaning God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Yeah. And then it says, by faith, Noah. Yeah. So Noah had the faith, but he also must have sought God. Yeah. Yeah. And many of the other people living in this generation did, well, many others, but none of the others did. Right, right. And God was giving rest through Noah as Noah sought God, and certainly God chose to work through Noah. Very, very good. Verse 42 says, and what are we supposed to do in Matthew 24? Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So the warning of judgment is right there in front of us. I think some things would be, you know, the final judgment as when we went to the Creation Museum, we've been to the Ark and to the Creation Museum. And when my parents were out here just a few weeks ago, we went to the Creation Museum and I hadn't been there before. And it was, you know, some of their, their exhibits I like to read. So you're reading all that stuff. And I was probably more interested than most of our kids. But I think we all ha were, were glad to be there. But seeing, seeing some of their little mock-ups of things you know, a little mock-up of people climbing to the top of rocks and rocks and rocks as the water's going up. It's a pretty stark thing because we can self-righteously read this story and think they got what was coming to them. But if I got what was coming to me, I, I'm out there on that rock, but, but by the grace of God. And so that's a pretty, and, and we could think, oh, all those evil, unrighteous people. Yes, God's righteousness and God's judgment is pure and righteous and good for sure. But if I was in that ark and people are pounding on the door and I'm knowing that they're dying, that's, that's a horrifying thing. That's a, a pretty stark reality. So, the, so as, as tough as Noah's, as the judgment of Noah's time is, it is not over the entire earth per se in that he saved in that ark animals and humanity. So God's final judgment is going to be complete, um, saving those of us who follow him out of there. And then eternal as well. It was a one-time judgment, not a forever judgment that, that the final judgment will be. So these are, are pretty, pretty serious things. So judgment's one, and then salvation is one. Um, 
if we could go this verse here, Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. I don't know, Annie, you want to read this one again? I don't know how many of you, thank you. I don't know how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon and um, none of us could say what this part of Kentucky looked like pre-flood. Um, right now I'm, I'm cutting hay and um, I, I cut hay in these little fields of all these little old ladies that live out back behind our farm and I'm cutting in there and there'll be two deer running this way and the grass is green here and the trees, leaves are starting to turn and I think, this Kentucky is ridiculously pretty. And there's little turtles in the road when you drive there. And I just think, God created this. I, I, I find it incredible. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, when you look in the Grand Canyon and you look down and you think, how? It's just, it's bigger than your brain has scope for, I feel like. And there's other things like that in our world. And I think, he says here, though the mountains may depart and hills be removed. We've got big earth movers. You can move a lot of dirt in our world today, but entire mountains don't usually get moved. But, but even if that all happened, it says there, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed. It talks about the Lord who has compassion on us. That's an, that's an incredible thing for us to think about. We see the judgment in Noah's story, but boy, we need to see the, the salvation in his story as well. And then Carla's here. Carla, could you read this verse for me? If you would be willing, I would, I would love to have you read 2 Peter. Thank you. Thank you. That's an incredible section right now. I mean, that if, if he did not spare the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, herald of righteousness, seven others, and he brought a flood upon the world and the ungodly, and it goes through this whole list. If, if he can do that, because none of us, we could flood our garden. You could flood something little. If you're an irrigator out west and you're irrigating a field of corn, you can, you can overdo it, but it's really, really small. But if God can do that, to deal with sin and to bring people to himself. And then he goes on the other list. If he can do that, then the Lord can rescue you and me from all kinds of hard things in this world. And so you think back to what I prayed as, as we opened. I know that every single person in here is dealing with challenging things in their life. And you, as I look out at this group, I think most of us are believers. Some, some are not, but most of us are believers in here. So for the believers in here today, the things you have in your life that are, feel overwhelming, if God can flood the entire world and say, except for you, and I'm going to cause these animals, 
And you have to admit, when you were a kid and you heard this Noah story, and he brings them in two by two or 14 by 14, however you read that, that whether it's doubles of sevens with the clean ones. And as a kid, I remember thinking, how would you do that? Because I loved animals. And how, okay, if God can cause animals to v- call, come into that ark and for them to be spared and for the whole earth to be flooded, believer, he can handle the really rough stuff in your life. He is trustworthy and able. And when, when you pray, and I know many times we share prayer requests with the church and that's great, but I know many times we all have things we pray about. We say, this is too much. It is too much for us, but it is not too much for Almighty God. So be thinking about that. The judgment side of the story, be warned. Those in here who do not trust Christ, be warned. Be terrified. God doesn't say, hey, uh, a little sin, ah, it could be a lot worse. He says, I am going to do something about this. Did it happen right away? No, it says those, the, the Nephilim were in the land. Things, it, was, it was going for a time, for years and years, before judgment came. So be aware of judgment, but be reminded of salvation. God is able to do. Any, any other thoughts before I pray? All right, I will close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder of both your judgment and your salvation, um, a judgment that everybody in this room deserves, a salvation that none of us in this room deserves. Lord, may we be like Noah, an imperfect man, even after seeing your faithfulness, 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 the drunken episode. Why? Because we need you. And we are not you. And we fall short of your standard and your glory. We need Jesus. Thank you for the cross that worked as our ark to bring us sinners to you. And we look to your final judgment and your final return in the full picture of judgment and salvation. And we worship you. In your son's name, amen.